Turn with me quickly to the book of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse five. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse five. It says, just one verse. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Father, we thank you for an opportunity to hear your word today. We thank you for another opportunity to gather in your presence during this lockdown, O Lord. We ask that you come and be with us. We ask that your presence be felt in this service with us, O Lord. We ask you, King of kings and Lord of hosts, speak to us so that we may learn, so that we may abide by your words. In Jesus' almighty name we pray. Second Corinthians 13, 5, once again, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? In almost every aspect of life, constant examination is necessary for any ambitious person to make progress. Believe it or not, exams are constant, and sometimes we examine ourselves, we examine our ways without even knowing that we examine ourselves. Sometimes we call it analyzing the situation, sometimes we call it strategizing, sometimes we call it planning, but in truth, it is an examination. In choosing a life partner, one has to examine a lot of things. In choosing a business to go into, one has to examine a lot of things. In even that business, one has to examine a lot of things. In day-to-day life, we have to examine the pros and cons of what we do and what we do not do. That is a constant examination. That's an examination. In our offices, regularly we are examined, even if it's not called an exam, in our places of work, in our places of uh, learning, in our places of earning. The things you do are constantly evaluated by your boss. In football, players are examined every single day by team officials, by teammates, and by fans to find out their level. That's also it is in other sports, in other areas of endeavor. In schools, students undergo constant examinations. There were those of us that hated exams, those of us that disappeared during exams, those of us that you would not see in school at all until it comes to exam period and they appear to come and write exams. Those of us that had exam fever, examination, examination. Whether you like it or not in school then, whether you are ready or not, at the appointed time, examinations must take place. And if you miss those examinations willfully or if you, if you fail those examinations, there is no promotion. The bottom line is, miss the examination or fail the examination, miss the promotion. The text we read is one that we should always endeavor to always. It's the one that each and every one of us as a Christian should constantly be reflecting on. I'm here to preach a topic to you today titled, Examine Yourself. In these last days, the devil is trying to use every trick in the books and even outside of the books to keep up people away from the kingdom of God. Christ told us in John 8.44 that there is no truth in the devil for he is the father of all lies. And when the devil looks at you as a Christian and realizes, wow, this one is born again, I cannot keep deceiving him with the truth, uh, from the truth that Christ is the light, let me try and come in to his own be- be- believing to get him to the real. And that's why the devil throws heresies at you. The devil throws false doctrines at you. And the devil also throws little, little secret sins that will keep you from making your target, which is heaven. 
And when the devil throws this little thing, when the devil gets you, gets these things into your system, he's called, he's not called the accuser of the brethren for nothing. Once you succumb to his heresies, once you succumb to his false doctrines, once you succumb to his little traps, he will run to our Father in heaven and accuse him and accuse you. Look at that one you said is your son. Look at that one you said you is your daughter. Look at how he's behaving. Look at how she's behaving. You have blessed him. Remove those blessings for him. You have done this. Allow me to finish him. But Bible says we are not unaware of the devices of the enemy. And that is why I stand here today to tell you, examine yourself. Continue to examine yourself. The word examine is a 14th century French origin. Taken from the word examinare, which means weigh. In English, it means to study something to inspect or study something with scrutiny or study something in detail, to investigate something, to analyze something in order to understand or expose it. Apostle Paul called on the Corinthians and indeed to all Christians, all believers, to examine ourselves, each and every one of us, to find out if we are still in faith. This is therefore a call to each and every one of us for self-examination. Self-examination is a reflection on own condition, careful reflection on your own thoughts, on your own beliefs, on your own behavior, on your, your own circumstances. The same way we examine our physical bodies to see if we have any health deform de deformities. The same way women check their bodies to see if they have breast cancer. And men check their bodies to see if they have testicular cancer. And the same way people go to medical examinations regularly to find out if there's anything wrong with them. We as Christians and members of the body of Christ, we are targets on heaven and our target on living well here on earth should continue, should regularly examine ourselves. In all sincerity, ask yourself these questions. Are you living right? Are you living the kind of life that leaves your mind rest assured that whatever rapture happens, or if you venture are called to rest today, that you will make heaven. This is question you should be asking yourself every time. Examine every single minute aspect of your life because it is very necessary and very beneficial for you. Just the same way a medical examination or even a physical examination of our body may reveal things that the physical eyes can see. They may reveal ailments that our body carries. So therefore, so, so, so also a spiritual examination of our actions, of our thoughts may reveal Secret sins that are dwelling us, secret sins that are limiting us from enjoying the benefits of serving God in spirit and in truth. Secret sins that may lead to gradual death or derailing one in the heavenly race without that person even knowing it. King Solomon in Sons of Solomon 2.15 calls them little foxes that spoil the vineyard. They creep in unnoticed, nobody pays them attention, and they go in gradually destroying the, 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 the good things planted in the vineyard. And before you realize it, they've caused irredeemable damage to the vineyard. That's exactly how some sinful ass creep into a Christian's life and his living and remain unchallenged and wreak havoc on the Christian's chances of making heaven at last. If you don't regularly examine yourself critically and constantly, you may not realize that there's a little loophole somewhere you need to patch Otherwise, you risk your chances of making heaven. I stand here today as a messenger of the Most High God to beg you to stop and ponder over your life, lest you be going astray and do not realize it. 
Unless you examine yourself, you may not discover that the father of all lies has already caused you to derail, yet you think you are going on the right track. When a, trail, when a train derails or changes track, it doesn't turn around 180 degrees. It doesn't even turn around 90 degrees. The only thing is that it misses its destination. And unless one takes, unless the driver notices, it's already heading to another destination. And when will you find out? When they get to the platform and it misses its platform, or when it gets on a track that leads it wayward into a different destination. That same way, most Christians who have derailed do not realize that they have derailed. And they are going. They are still working hard in the kingdom. They are still doing things uh, that they believe that they, 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 they should be doing. They are working hard in the church. They are winning souls. They are paying their tithes. They are services. They are building churches. But because of a secret sin inside their life that has them derailed, they do not know that they are on the wrong path. They do not know that they have derailed. And you know, sometimes when a train derails, most times when a, tra a train derails, it's not too fatal. They only realize when, ooh, in the wrong platform, oh, we're heading somewhere else. But at times when the train derails at high speed, that is when it causes crash, and that is when lives are lost. So we Christians must be careful not to derail. We must be careful to see that our ambitions are in line with the Word of God. Remember, you might have derailed, but you do not know, and you're working hard for the kingdom. Doing the, but what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world for the kingdom? And at the end, lose his soul because of a secret sin. That shall not be your portion in Jesus' almighty name. The truth remains that not many who come to church today are Christians. Not many who profess to be Christians are truly Christians. Many people come to church for many different reasons. And when they get to church, they profess to be Christians and they are accepted. But inside every church congregation, they have the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good are those who are here and are serving him in spirit and in truth, constantly examining their ways to ensure that they are on the right path. The bad are those who are here and are really not here. Yes, many of us come in, in genuine repentance and in search of salvation, but there are many who come to church with other things in mind. There are many who come to church because they are hungry, they want to enjoy the hospitality of the church. There are many who come to church because I am ready to settle down now, let me go to church, I will find a spouse there. Meanwhile, inside them, they have not changed. There are many who come to church looking for jobs. There are many who come to church looking for many different things. And to these people, they still indulge in their sinful habits, sometimes even openly, sometimes they don't care. And to them, they don't care if the pastor sees them or not, they continue to indulge in their ways and continue to come to church with no repentance whatsoever. Their lifestyles are obviously sinful, and some of them think that they are beyond redemption, but, but no. There's also the ugly, those who do not know the reason why they are here. They, they do not know the reason why they go to church. People go to church every Sunday and they go with them. They indulge in sins habitually and even openly. 
They're inside the church. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly. But if you are in church today, or if you call yourself a Christian, and there is no genuine desire to be impacted by the word of God, there's no genuine desire to serve God in spirit and in truth, then you need to examine yourself and examine your priorities and examine your life. Nothing on earth is going to hell for. So you better repent of your ways before it's too late. Just as it is necessary to thoroughly examine our bodies in order to detect and treat any ailments, the thorough examination of our way of life, of our, li- reason, of, of our living and our reasons, not just for being in church, but for being Christians, and our current status in faith is necessary so that we will not be misled by the devil to think that we are on the right track to heaven, whereas we have derailed. Many of us know the book called Pilgrim's Progress. I watched the animated video a few days ago, and every time I watch it, it stirs my soul to, 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 to action. In that book, the, 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 the main character, they are Christian. Christian embarks on a pilgrimage, on a journey akin to the everyday pilgrimage we Christians are currently in. Christian leaves his city, the city of destruction, which represents sinful living. He leaves the city of destruction and sets a target to go to the celestial city, which is eternal life in heaven. But along the way, he encounters this discouragement from his friends. His family tell him, look, choose between us and this way we are talking about. You either stay with us or you go on your own way. But he forges on, on encounters many obstacles, encounters many distractions. But fortunately for him, he meets evangelists, and evangelists directs him. Evangelist tells him, look, continue on the straight and narrow road. Do not turn to the left. Do not turn to the right. Keep your eyes on that light, on that heavenly gate, and you will get there. But immediately, evangelist leaves him. He runs into a man called Mr. Wadley Wise. Mr. Wadley Wise tries to deceive him Use deception to get him off the track. That's the plan of the enemy. Mr. Wadley Wise failed with that, and then came Mr. Legality and Mr. Civility. But while they, had, they were misleading him, Christian had to examine himself. And when Christian examined himself, he found out that, look, this is not the right path to take, that this is not what, what evangelists told me, and that this path these people are asking me to take will only lead me astray. That is the essence of examination. That is why I call for constant examination. We as Christians need to constantly examine our lives and examine our actions. For a true believer, self-examination reassures him. And even if he fails the test, it still gives him peace of mind and tells him the problem and affords him the opportunity to set his ways right with the Lord. Many of us here, we don't steal, we don't cheat on our spouses, we don't do porn, we don't drink, we don't smoke. We try our best to lead Christian lifestyles, which we think, which we think is leading us to heaven. But we are really, even though we are really serving him in spirit and in truth, we still have these secret sins and these little foxes who are a very big danger to our pilgrimage. These secret sins and these little foxes that is only between, most times, only between me, us, and God. Only God knows. God that sees the inside of man. Only he knows what we are doing, what we are going through. And only he knows. But unless we examine ourselves, sit back, relax, ponder, and realize that, look, this thing is wrong, you will not be able, no, the eyes will not see. And in front of church, wow, the Christian lifestyle, members in church will see you, oh, he's an elder, he's a deacon, he's a deacon, he's doing very well. 
put inside the secret sins, the little foxes are spoiling your, 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 uh, your chances of making heaven. That will not be your portion in Jesus' almighty name. Yeah. Let's talk about these little foxes. Some of these little foxes include unforgiving spirits. This comes from being unable to overcome a hurt caused you by someone. And instead of forgiving, someone has hurt you. Instead of forgiving, some of us decide, no, I will have no business with that person. Some of us even go to the end to say, over my dead body, I will never forget that, forgive that person. Some of us, Go extra length. Keep this pain inside. Whenever we remember that person it, 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 or that act, it hurts so, so, so bad and we, uh, 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 and we refuse to forget. But the scriptures are playing on this. Luke 17, 3 to 4 tells us, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, return again to say, if I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Matthew 6, 12, which is the Lord's Prayer, says, And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. But many of us, that's where it ends. Meanwhile, verses 14 to 15 says, For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Wow. If you forgive, God will forgive you. If you don't, God will not forgive you. Simples. So let us remove every unforgiveness. Definitely, people will keep hurting you. But that is why you show them your the Christian life in you. That is why you show them your Christ-like nature. People will keep hurting you. And when they do this, what does the Bible say you should do? Matthew 5.44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use and persecute you. Wow. Love them that hurt you. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use and persecute you. And when you do this, the Lord God Almighty will forgive you and he will bless you and he will protect you. You can be a miracle performing worldwide evangelist, but if you don't forgive the constant hurts you are bound to encounter in life, you might as well be laboring in vain because instead of laboring in the Lord's fire, because like the Lord's prayer said, if you forgive, God will forgive you. Brethren, there is no place for an unforgiving spirit in the household of faith. That is a very important little fox secret sin that we should endeavor to remove from our lives before it derails us. Here are some thoughts you may want to consider. An unforgiving spirit is not Christ-like at all. It is a tool of Satan. Unforgiveness destroys relationships. It causes divisions. It causes depression and robs joy. It robs you of your joy. It damages testimonies. It weakens the gospel message. How can you be preaching to someone to love your neighbor as yourself? How can you be preaching about God's love when you have not forgiven those who have hurt you? Unforgiving spirit becomes a barrier to spirituality and your power in prayer. It hinders prayers and it becomes a burden to the heart and mind. It deprives you of peace of mind. But it is never late to win, too late to win that victory. Do it today. Call that 
person that offended you. Call that brother, that relative, and ask him for forgiveness. Or tell him that you have forgiven him and enjoy life again. Will it be easy? No. Why not? Because Satan will attempt in any way possible to keep you from victory. But if you desire to make heaven, then you must learn to forgive. Malice is another form of unforgiveness, but this one is shown openly and aims to inflict injury on the person. When you have malicious intent against someone, you do not hide it. But that is contrary to what the Bible tells us. Remember what Matthew 5.44 says, Love them who hurt you. Do well to those who despitefully treat you. There are many other secret sins. I can too numerous to mention. But Bible tells us in Galatians 5.19, he points them out. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, Orgies and things like that. Listen carefully. I warn you, as, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Examine yourself and see if any of these lives, plenty of these lifestyles, are still evident in your character. There are many aspects of our lives that we need to examine and re-examine. And I will quickly go through as many of these as I can. Number one, we must examine our lifestyles, examine the lives we lead, and see if they are in line with God's word. Any single thing you do that is not in line with God's word is wrong and should be stopped. Instead of trying to justify sin in our lives, we should flee from it. The Bible says flee from every resemblance of evil. Some people say that smoking is not in the Bible, so there is no sin in it. But these people forget that the Bible tells us that your body is the temple of Christ. And the people that even sell the cigarettes to you warn you that tobacco smokers are liable to die of. So why are you destroying the body of Christ? Why are you gradually killing, destroying the temple of Christ? The Bible says your body is the temple of Christ. And the cigarettes you inhale, the alcoholism you indulge in excessively, they are dangerous to your health. And anything that is dangerous to your health, if you do it purposely, it is the temple of Christ that you are tampering with. Do not justify that sin. Do not justify that sin you're doing by telling yourself, ah, your mind tells you you know it's wrong, but you say, ah, it is not in the Bible, there is nothing wrong, my church allows it. No, this is not what you will tell God on Judgment Day. Examine your lifestyle. Examine the people you hang out with. Examine the friends you keep. Examine the, th the things you love doing. Examine the TV programs you watch. Examine the kind of music you, you, you listen to. Psalms chapter 1 verse 1 is clear evidence of the fact that hanging out with your old friends when you are born again is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Hanging out with friends who refuse to change is an, it's an abomination because they will mislead you. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That is the word of God. It doesn't mean you should, not, you should shun them too far. No. Try as much as possible to get close to them, to let them know the change in you, to let them know about the reason for this change. But stay away from them and their lifestyles. Psalm 
some of us are born again. It happened to me when I got born again newly. I was staying, hanging out with the same friends I had before. I didn't have too many Christian friends then. And most of my friends were friends I had when I was still living in the world. And as I chilled with them, I told them, well, I told myself, well, Jesus chilled with Matthew the tax collector. And he chilled with Zacchaeus before he converted them. I remember Jesus quote that only the sick people need a physician and that he had come for the loss. That was what I was telling myself. But two years down the drain, I didn't convert even a single one of them. Instead, they dragged me back into a lifestyle of drinking that I had overcome when I got born again. They were able to convince me that, no, you shouldn't, no, don't take beer, take wine. The Bible says, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake and your open infirmities. Beer is wrong and wine is, 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 is okay. It's biblical. Jesus turned water to wine. Gradually, I listened to them. And before you know it, I was on the wrong track. And then I re-examined myself. I examined myself and found out that I wasn't living right. And found out that this kind of living would put me into trouble. And found out that my Father in Heaven would not be happy with me if I continue in this. And until I realized my folly and put an end to testing anything alcoholic under whatsoever name again. And then I decided to limit my communication limits my hanging out with those friends. Limit my lifestyle. You need to examine your lifestyle. You need to examine the company you keep. Evil company corrupts good manners. Peter was doing very well in the company of the disciples. But the moment he left the disciples, it didn't take him anything to, dis- to, to deny Jesus three times. Samson rode with women of easy virtue. Despite being a judge, and one of them destroyed him. Examine your lifestyle. Examine the type of company you keep. You might not be an arm robber, but when you hang out with arm robbers and people know them as arm robbers, you attempt to be an arm robber. For a lady, you may be very decent, but because the kind of friends you keep, the kind of way they dress, the kind of lifestyle they live, they're your friends. You say they are my friends from secondary school throughout the university. People look at you and see you and take you to be one of them. So how can you then preach the gospel to such people? Examine your lifestyle. Examine the friends you keep. When you constantly keep the company of known sinners, you will be taken to be one of them. Birds of a feather flock together. And come to think of it, Jesus indeed, yes, he claimed that he came for the lost. But most of the time, he hung out with his disciples and not the lost because he realized the need to separate the wheat from the chaff. Yes, occasionally he visited them. Yes, occasionally he went to minister to them. But most of the time, he was with his disciples. You should always ask yourself, this lifestyle I'm living, is it giving glory to God? Because there are many people you can preach to just by your daily living. Your lifestyle is the Bible many people will get to read. And when they see you living right, they will want to be like you. They will see the difference. But when they see no change in you, you still hang out with the same friends you used to hang out when you before you were born again. You Oh, you are gathered. They are drinking, but you are not drinking. But you are still together. They are doing wrong things, but you are not doing it. But you are still with, 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 together. 
you will not be able to preach to anybody in this type of lifestyle. Examine your lifestyle. Examine your friends. Even examine your friend list on social media. Anyone that comes in box to tell you, ah, ah this, that, things that out of the normal. Anybody that comes in box to, 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 to propose rubbish ideas to you, delete that person. Even on their timeline, anyone that posts things that turn your spirit, upset your spirit, things that vulgar things, things that should not be, quickly delete that person or unfollow that person so you will not see his posts. Social media, the world is using it for fun. The world is using it to mislead others. We as members of the body of Christ should use it for evangelism. Examine yourself. Examine your posts. Do you post things that glorify? Excuse me. Do you post things that glorify God, or do you just post anything? Do you post things without caring what it does to your reputation as a Christian, or what it does to people who take you as a Christian? Therefore, what what it does to the body of Christ. Another thing we should examine: we should examine our words. We should examine our words. Proverbs 18.21 is a verse everybody quotes. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. But when we put this, we only tend to see from the point of making prophetic declarations into our lives and businesses and never confessing negatively. We go, wherever we, we go, I shall not die, but live to talk about the goodness of God. We keep, we keep putting positively. But after that, what else do you do with your words? People tend to overlook the fact that the tongue is very powerful and act for or against them daily, even when they are unawares. Many people have been destroyed by the tongues of their fellow Christians through lies, through backbiting, through gossip. Lying is one of the main strongholds the devil holds over mankind. Remember, he's the father of all lies. He knows how to get you. Even inside the body of Christ, he knows how to get you to throw lies here and there. It is common to see brethren who speak from both sides of their mouths. Many brethren lie for convenience. They lie on the phone. They even lie to your face. But Revelation 21.8 tells us that all liars have their share in the lake of fire. All liars. Whether it's a white lie, a black lie, or legal lie, or corporate lie, or official lie, a lie is a lie, even when in disguise. As far as a true statement is not a true picture of the facts as they are, it is a lie. Also, the use of profanities is still rampant among Christians, even though it's still amongst those categories of sin, often done alone only in secret. Sometimes you hear a Christian brother, a Christian sister speak, and you're shocked. They use the F word. They use other in the bad, the other, other, other profane language. Read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, and see what it has to say about the use of profanities. Christians should learn to bridle our tongues in all situations. Refrain from unclean words, any form of lies, necessary or unnecessary, or gossiping and backbiting. We should learn to refrain from them. We should be sure of every word that comes out of our heart. Because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth begins. Garbage in, garbage out. Remember, life and death are in the power of the tongue. 
Our tongues can either give us abundant life and eternity or eternal damnation and death be warned. Another thing we should examine is our temperament. Anger is one of the tools which, which the devil has used to destroy many lives. Anger has destroyed many marriages. Anger has destroyed many careers. Visit the prisons and you see many people who are languishing in prison because they could not control their fit of anger. In law, provocation is not a, it's not a strong defense. And before God, that they provoked me and made me angry, and I reacted that way, is not a defense. One can be a Christian and observe religiously every other thing, yet you are unable to control yourself when provoked. Anger is the root cause, the basis, the foundation of unforgiveness, the foundation of malice. You should learn to let go. Provocation comes in many ways. Sometimes it comes from your wife or your husband or your children. Sometimes it comes from a careless driver and you exhibit road rage. Sometimes it comes from your house help or your, your colleague in the office. Yes, we get provoked daily. And once this happens, many of us tend to flip the lead and go gaga. Cursing and abusing and sometimes even manhandling whoever provokes us and any other person who gets in the line of fire. Others immediately withdraw into their shells and give the, their provocator the cold shoulder and pile the anger inside. And that's how the unforgiveness comes, starts. Any which way, whether you fly into a rage or whether you keep the anger, in, anger inside and turn cold to the world, anger is dangerous to our heavenly race. The psalmist warns us in Psalm 37, 7, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It always leads to evil. Angry people always justify their anger, blaming everyone else for their anger. Yet the Bible repeatedly warns us against giving in to anger when we are upset by other people's words or actions. In such situations, your Christ-like nature should come to fall. Christ was severally provoked, but yet always kept a calm demeanor through it all. Anger deprives us of many things. Take, for instance, Moses. He suffered many years, leading the Israelites in the darkness. Moses was a great man. The Bible says of him in Exodus that he was a man who God speaks face to face with like a man speaks with his friend. God speaks face to face with him like a man speaks with his friend. He was a great man, but in all his greatness, he had anger issues which came to fall. First, when he murdered the Egyptian. God gave him a long group, but he still did not examine himself. He did not examine himself and put his anger in place. Instead, he overlooked it. And it cost him his place in the promised land. God told him to do something. And out of anger at the way the children of Israel had provoked him, had, had anger for their insults to God, he overreacted. He did not keep his anger in check. And what happened? The anger cost him the promised land. This man that speaks with God face to face, like a man speaks to his friend, God could stand up and tell him, look, because of your anger, you are not going here. Then what about you? What about me? Do you think God can push aside your anger even if you have built 10 churches? 
100 churches. Do you think your anger can be overlooked? God did not overlook the anger of Moses, the man that speaks face to face with him as a man speaks with his friend. Brethren, you must examine yourself. You must put your anger in check. Yes, it is not wrong to be angry. Don't get me wrong. Remember Jesus came into the temple and he saw the people using his father's house for rubbishments, using his father's house for trade. And what did he do? Jesus got angry and took action. He got angry and he chased them away. But that was where it ended. He did not let that anger go with him from there. He did not abuse them. He did not fight them. He had the authority to chase them away, and he chased them away, and they obeyed. When you are angry, do not abuse anybody. When you are angry, do not fight anybody. Ephesians 4, 26-27 says, If you are in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a stronghold. Anger gives the devil a stronghold in your life. King Solomon the wisest tells us in Proverbs 29-22, An angry man stirs up dissent, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. A hot-tempered one commits many sins. Anger, like I said before, leads to bitterness and unforgiveness. At least for the period the person is still angry. What if rapture happens at that moment you are angry, you are bitter, you are unforgiving? According to the word of God in James 1, 19-20, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. If you're angry, I mean that's your anger, the trumpet sounds. No matter what you've done for the body of Christ, that anger, like Moses, will deprive you of the promised land. But that is not your portion in Jesus' name. Examine yourself today. Examine your temperament. We should also examine how we see other people. Man, by nature, is very judgmental. Often we reach opinions of other people, which most times is wrong. We should avoid judging others. The Bible tells us, judge not, that you be not judged. Because when we judge others and make judgment, that judgment leads to us having bitterness, having envy, backbiting. We should always learn to keep an open mind about people. People we meet at work, people we meet in church, in everyday life. Judge not that ye be not judged. We should also examine our Christian lives. How serious are you with the things of God? Do you do them half-heartedly? Or do you do them as if you are doing them for your father and with a burning desire to make heaven? Are you a Sunday, Sunday Christian? How often do you study the word? Do you lead an exemplary life? Or are you amongst those people that preach from follow my words and not my action? How strong is your prayer life? In these end times, we need to improve our prayer life. We need to face the challenges of life, challenges of work through prayer. Yes, 
life is so demanding, you have work to do, you have kids to take care of, you have academics, you have this, but never let the enemy use these things to deprive you of time in prayer, time in study of the word. Remember, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You cannot dwell in his secret place without making time to visit that secret place. Another thing we should examine is our focus. The focus of every Christian should be to make heaven. To achieve this, we must remain focused, otherwise the enemy will mislead us. Irrespective of the storms of life, we must make Christ the focus of our daily living. If we keep him as our focus, we will weather every storm in flying colors. But once we remove our eyes and hope from Christ, we lose focus, we lose track, and then we leave ourselves open to the antics of the wicked one, who is very funny and very cunning and very deceptive. Let me give you two examples of what happens when we lose focus. First, let's take the example of a driver. Once a driver gets behind the steering wheels and drives off, his eye is on the road. His eye is straight off. All his main focus is on where he's going. The moment he allows himself to be distracted, to look at things by the side, to take his eyes away from his focus, to take his mind away from the focus, then he is at risk of crashing. Then he is at risk of having an exam. Another example is a professional boxer. From the first round, your concentration is on getting the better of your opponent. This deserves full concentration because his own intent also, your opponent's intent also, is to get you down. Both boxers square off in full concentration. But once one of them loses concentration and loses focus, bam, he gets a soccer punch. He's flat on his back. And it's over. That's exactly how the heavenly race is. We have to remain focused on Christ. When Peter walked on the water, his focus was on Christ. And he was walking. He was living in the miraculous. He was doing what no other man apart from Jesus had done. Walk on the water. But the moment he took his focus away from Christ and looked at the storm the way it was coming, the moment he removed his focus, that's when he began to sink. In life, we should keep our focus on Christ. We should remain steadfast in Him because the moment we begin to think about the worries of the world, we lose focus and we begin to sink. Examine your Christian life. Is Christ still the focus of your life? Or are you here today for some other reason? If you have missed focus, please correct it now that you still have chance. May God give you the wisdom to remain focused in Christ in Jesus' name. You should examine your priorities in life. Yes, you want to make heaven, but you still have to live on earth and in life every day. You have chances to make, choices to make, and priorities before us. The need to survive has you constantly worrying and derailing. Before we risk before we suffer and risk eternity because we put the cart before the horse, we should re-examine our priorities. Remember, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, and every other thing shall be added unto you. Every other thing. So prioritize Christ. Prioritize making heaven. 
and every other thing shall be added up to you. Wow. Everything else, everything you desire. One of my favorite Bible verses, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Prioritize him. Prioritize God and he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Something, another thing we should also examine, we should examine our attitude. Are you pompous? Are you full of pride? Uh, do you look down on others and see them as incompetent, unfashionable, and not on the same level with you? Then be careful, because even if you are a saint, even if you are squeaky clean, even if not a single sin, yet you have pride in you, you have derailed. Even if you are convinced you are not, please stop and examine yourself. Because one thing with pride and pomposity is that others see it clearly in you, but hardly do you have the, but have, but they don't have the opportunity to tell you. So it needs personal soul setting to discover this. It needs personal examination. Pride is defined by encatadictionary as a feeling of superiority, a haughty attitude shown by somebody who believes, often unjustifiably, that he or she is better than others. The concept is found in the Bible in words such as arrogance, haughtiness, and conceit, which are opposites of godly humility. Pride leads to disregard, disrespect, and disobedience to God. Remember, pride is primarily what transformed the once righteous Lucifer into the wicked Satan after he became too impressed with himself and then said, I will make myself like the most high God. And God punished his pride and chased him away from his kingdom. That same way God still punishes anybody who is proud in himself. Pride very often results in self-destructive behavior because it's a form of self-delusion. It isn't necessarily as much an overestimation of oneself, but a dangerous underestimation of others. Hence, King Solomon tells us, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Brethren, Self-examination leads to self-examination leads to self-evaluation. When you submit yourself to a medical team for thorough medical evaluation, thorough medical examination, it is done to determine your medical condition. When it goes well, you are happy and accept the medical report. But when it goes wrong, you 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 are sad and you start thinking, whose reports shall we believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Today, you need to embark on a spiritual examination of yourself. You need to embark in spiritual, sober, self-examination to determine your spiritual level. When it is fine, oh, glory be to God, you heave a sigh of relief. But when you fail, you stop and correct yourself and return your derailed train to the straight and narrow. Remember Pilgrim's Progress. Evangelists told Pilgrim, stay on that straight way. The same way Jesus told the disciples, stay on the straight way, the straight and narrow way. For wide is the way that leads to destruction. Examine yourself thoroughly. 
how do we examine ourselves? If the medical team assessing an individual wants to see even the minutest details in the physiology of a patient, they use due diligence and the best of latest technology to avail themselves of insight to unearth the dangerous micro and macroorganisms that can be hazardous to the patient's health. Likewise, we Christians, undergoing a spiritual self-evaluation, in our hands, we have the Bible, which is the latest technology in the field of spiritual self-examination. With it, we examine our actions and inactions side by side with the Word of God without any bias or favor, because on that last day, there will be no bias or favor. We examine ourselves with the Bible, with an earnest spirit, with the Word of God as our rule book, and always in a spirit of prayer. We examine ourselves with all honesty, determined to find out if what we are doing is wrong or right. We examine ourselves frequently with a view to constantly improving ourselves. We ask ourselves questions. Did I treat that situation right? Should I have done better? What did I do wrong? Whenever we discover an abnormality, we move immediately to correct it and resolve not to repeat it and decide what to do next time we find ourselves in such a situation. The key word here is frequently, as in constantly. Frequently evaluating our actions. Frequently evaluating to see that what I said, did I lie? What I did, is it right? Should I have treated that situation that way? When we set out to buy a car or a house, before we pay or even before we have paid, and the warranty is still on, we constantly examine the paperwork. We get lawyers to go through the paperwork of the house, the mortgage, we get people to examine the house, to evaluate the house. We constantly examine these things. And then we still ensure it. Yet the house can get burnt. Yet you can lose it to mortgage and, 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 and then recover it. But if you lose your soul, it cannot be regained again after we pass on. And the consequences of such a loss is eternal damnation. So we must take special care to always examine ourselves to ensure that we're on the right path to eternal glory because the other side is horrifying. I've said it before, said it previously. Christ said in John 8:44 that the devil, there is no truth in the devil for he's the father of all lies. All he intends to do is to lie to us. All he intends to do is to make us derail. All he intends to do is to deceive us by any means possible. And that's why we must continue to examine ourselves. My brother, my sister, please take out time to examine your life and examine it real deeply and thoroughly. Endeavor to prove your life to the very bottom. Don't compromise. The devil will try to deceive you by discouraging you, but don't relent. Unless you sincerely prove yourself, you risk being complacent. Do not justify what shouldn't be justified. Condemn what should be condemned. Then resolve to repeat, dissolve to repent and not to repeat it again.
It is important that we set ourselves these examinations to prepare for ourselves for God's examination on Judgment Day. Revelation 20.12 tells us that books were opened. Books of those who attended church faithfully. Books of those who were church workers. Books of those who gave arms to the poor. Books of those who won many souls to Christ. These names were in the books that were opened. But the book that matters most is the book of life. Books were opened. And then the book of life was opened. And whosoever was not found in the book of life, he may have been found in the other books, but he had secret sins and he didn't examine himself thoroughly to change. And whosoever was not found in the book of life, as far as that person's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Examine yourself thoroughly and find out if your name is in that book of life. Now that you still have the chance to correct any anomaly you notice. During the days of Noah, I'm sure not everybody mocked him. Many people even believed in him and the ark. Many commended him. Many called him a powerful man of God. Ah, this man sees. But when the flood came, what mattered most was those that made it into the ark. Many of the people that believed in Noah's vision, many that even contributed some materials to the ark, but missed the ark, missed it because they were too busy with work, missed it because they were too busy, busy with business, or too busy with school, or too busy with school runs, or fending for the family, or were attending one party or the other, and they were not with the word. Many people confess to be Christians and are seen by many as born-again Christians. But what matters most on the last day is will your name be in the book of life. Many have impeccable reputations as Christians. But let me tell you something. Reputation is what man knows about you. It is not what God knows about you. God is the one that sees you inside out. So continually examine yourself to find out if you are on the right track. Continually examine yourself to find out if your name is in the book of life. Use the Bible to evaluate your daily living. Do not fall prey to any heresies that mislead. The Bible is there to guide you. Lamentations 340 sums everything up. It says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. If you are listening to me today and you know within yourself that you are not born again, examine yourself and take that bold step now and decide once and for all to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. It is the best decision you will ever make. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. As for me and my family, by God's grace, we will serve the Lord. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. Do not let pressures of work, pressures of bills, pressures of family, keep you from serving God because on the last day, your boss will not be standing before God with you. Your husband, your son, your daughter, your wife will not be there standing with you. Do not let these things make you too busy, make you too distracted from serving God. One thing I must remind us all, eternity is not one year, it's not a hundred years, it's not a thousand years, it's not 10,000 years. It is eternity forever and ever. If you are here today and you are not born again, then you should stop and repeat this prayer with me. Oh Lord, forgive me my sins. 
any way in which I have sinned, Father, forgive me. I accept that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. Father, I am now ready to serve you. Guide me, guide me. Direct my path to be good. Put my name in the book of life. Strengthen me not to go back to my previous sins. In Jesus' name. Congratulations, brethren. You are now a member of the body of Christ. Hold firm to that salvation which you have just received. God is ever willing to forgive you. Along the line, you might make mistakes, but once you make a mistake, examine yourself thoroughly and go back to God. He is ever willing to forgive you. The Bible, get yourself a Bible. It is the book of the Word of God. In there, you have find ways, things that will strengthen you and things that will give you grace. Excuse me. Things that will guide your path in your daily living. You can also reach me on Facebook, send me an inbox, reach me anyhow, anywhere you can. I want to help you in your spiritual development. I want to help you in your spiritual growth. Feel free to reach me at any time. Send me a message, inbox, I will respond. Amen. And if you're here and you have been born and you have been born again for a while, but a quick examination has revealed that there are aspects of your life that you need to change. Take that bold step and come to the throne of grace and ask God for forgiveness. You have examined yourself and you see some little foxes that spoil the fine. You see some secret sins or things that you know that are not right, that have made you derail. Do not be ashamed. Come to him and he will forgive you. Come to him and ask him, Father, forgive me. I will not go back to these ways. You will receive the joy of salvation. He's ever willing to forgive you. Do not backslide. No matter what you have done, it is never too late. As far as you still have breath in your life, it is never too late to ask God for forgiveness. We'll end with this song. Join me, join me and sing. Eternal, eternal life, eternal, eternal life. I want to live eternal life. God save my soul. I want to live eternal life. God save my soul. Oh my Savior. When you come to collect your people, remember me, O Lord. Remember me, O Lord. When you come to collect your people, remember me, O Lord. O Lord. You will not miss rapture in Jesus' name. You will make heaven in Jesus' name. Your name is planted in the book of life in Jesus' name. Live right and glory in heaven is yours. Live right. And Christ said that he came to, for you to have life and life more abundantly. Here on earth and even in heaven, victory is yours in Jesus' almighty name. Amen.